You know, I've been hit fresh this week with just the, the appreciation and of the privilege of being able to deliver to you the Word of God. And so I'm thankful to be here this morning. We are in a series um, it's called Humble Hope. And what we've been doing is exploring the letters that Paul wrote to the Thessalonian church. And last week we completed uh, the first letter, and this week we begin a five-part walk now through um, the next uh, set of letters. It's Second Thessalonians. And so that begins this morning. Now, I have to ask you as we consider this idea of a Second Thessalonians, I wanted to ask, do you think that we really need a sequel? <laughs> do we really have need for a sequel? You know, I'm one, I actually got to tell you, I'm really not one that's a big fan of sequels, especially if they're not planned. I mean, it's different if it's like a trilogy or they're planning to do all three movies or something like a Lord of the Rings where it's, you know, it's obviously, you know, one complete story. Um, my first, one of my first jobs in ministry was I was the executive producer of a radio drama series. And we had it on a five uh, season story curve and the story was over after season five. Well, you know, there was some momentum for that. And so, okay, we got to do the next series, right? So we didn't have plans for that. So we tried to reboot the series again and do a sequel, and it just flopped. It just was not, it didn't have the same, you know, bite and heart that the first one had. And so even Disney can botch it on sequels. I don't know how many of you think Cinderella 2 is your favorite movie, or how many of you are just dying to, for another round of Cars 2. Uh, sequels can be tough to make. There's so many great stories that are ruined by a sequel. And again, even Disney can get it wrong sometimes. So having studied, though, and really considered the art of storytelling, I do want to tell you there are actually some really good reasons that you might want to write a sequel, that there, maybe a sequel is appropriate. And it's not just about cashing in, and certainly that's not true for Paul. Uh, there are some really great reasons to write a sequel, and here's some thoughts for you. One of them is that there's more of the story to tell. There's more of the story to tell. The world that has been created or that, it's, that we're, we find in the story, it might have been completed in some way in one story, but then there's an overarching storyline that is unresolved. Okay, So you want to revisit that story again. That's a good reason to write a sequel. The second one is that there's more character development that can unfold. Now, typically in any movie, story, or book you're into, uh, the characters should experience some form of change or growth, and that's what makes an exciting story. At the end of the, 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 the book or the story, they've hopefully changed and, and experienced some growth, but looking at the character, maybe you see that there's even more growth, more character development that can happen, and, and so that would be another great reason to write a sequel. Another one is that there's unresolved conflict. There's unresolved conflict. Now, maybe the antagonist was somewhat defeated in the original story, but not completely. And maybe they come back with even more power, more rage, and there's more chaos that's introduced. And so you'd want to be able to explore that in a sequel. Well, these are the things that are actually happening as Paul was urged by the Holy Spirit to pen a second letter, a sequel to the Thessalonians. Now, in this letter, he is going to be not correcting, but clarifying some key points of doctrine that he had introduced them to. Remember, they were new believers. And so he's going to explore again the idea of eschatology, the understanding of Christ's final return. In other words, there's more of the story for them to receive. Now, we can also know that 
from the writing, the letter itself, that the Thessalonian believers needed encouragement and even some correction because they had understood that Jesus' return was so eminent that that drew them towards passivity. Yeah, they thought Jesus was coming back like tomorrow, and so, well, why would we work today? And so they were starting to become lazy, actually. And Paul said, no, no, that's, that's not how, how we work. Uh, it, the eminence of Christ's return, which we all still live with, doesn't cause us to be able to lay back and just enjoy the day and just let it all happen. We still have to be active and participate in that. In other words, there's more character development that had to happen. And the third reason that Paul was urged to write this letter is the persecution had intensified. You know, again, we had talked about in the first letter that this was new believers, and they had sacrificed a lot of social standing, had gotten arrested, beaten, and that probably continued, uh, in the, and that's why Paul was urged to write the first letter. Well, it sounds like that persecution may have even heated up after that, and so it didn't go away, and that prompted more need for Paul to reinforce their faith, to give them encouragement, hang in there, you can do it, we're so proud of you. In other words, the antagonists had come back with greater force. So with that introduction, this is why Paul, again, was urged by the Holy Spirit to, to open up a second letter, to send a sequel letter to the Thessalonian church. And we're going to open up that letter this morning. If you have your, well, if you have your Bibles with you, don't touch them. No, I don't know. You can, you can touch them. But I'll put, the, I'll put the words on the screen for you so we can share God's word together. If you have your Bibles with you, please, though, open them up to 2 Thessalonians. We're going to look at chapter 1. We're going to just review the first four verses, the introduction. There's a lot of text in here. So let me pray before we, we step into God's Word. Father, we thank you. Thank you for the fresh privilege we have, God, of, of seeing your Word, of reading these words that were penned so long ago by the inspiration and direction of the Holy Spirit over Paul himself, and that we can read these exact same words, God, is such a blessing. So, Lord, I pray that we would hold this letter with the same sort of urgency and privilege that the Thessalonian believers did as they received it firsthand. Holy Spirit, continue to amplify these words and these stories in our hearts that draw us in a way that's closer to you. I can't do that. So I ask, Lord, that you begin your work in me and allow me, by your grace, to share this with my friends who are gathered here in this place in person and those online. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we're going to read together the first four verses of 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. It's Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We must always give thanks to God for you. Uh, Trying to keep up here, sorry. We must always give thanks to God for you, brothers and sisters, as it is right, because your faith is growing abundantly, and the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. Therefore, we ourselves boast of you among the churches of God for your steadfastness and faith during all your persecutions and the afflictions that you are enduring. This, my friends, is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Yes. So this is our introduction. And um, again, we have Paul very similar in tone to the beginning of the first Thessalonians. So that and and that happens in a sequel. They always have to maybe pull out some familiarity so that, you know, it feels like the same story. In fact, 
you know, uh, readers and scholars will look at some of the introductions to some of these letters and find a pattern to them. Typically, there's who it's from, and then there's uh, some form of blessing, grace, and peace, and then maybe an ad, uh, a posture of gratitude. But I really believe that every word of God is precious and God-breathed. Amen? And so this introduction to me is more than just a form. In fact, the subtle, t- subtle differences in the beginning of 1 Thessalonians to 2 uh, tell us that Paul, again, is not correcting, but he's clarifying some key points to them. And so I'm going to walk through this really quickly with you, uh, verses 1 through 4, and give us an idea of what we're seeing here as we break them down. Number one, we begin to see that right off the top, Paul is sharing with them the idea that faith is a gift. Faith is a gift. One distinction between the greeting and blessing of First and Second Thessalonians is in First Thessalonians, and you can flip there if you have your Bible with you, he, he begins by saying, grace to you and peace. Okay? Beautiful words. In, in verse 2 here of Second Thessalonians, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. This is a subtle difference, but it's, it's very important. you got to remember, the Thessalonians, they're, they're new believers. And it's easy for them, and it might have been easy for us, especially in a legacy of faith, generations of faith, to assume that we have received faith as a place of privilege, or maybe even a right, or just by default. But you can see that what Paul is saying here is, Grace and peace come to us from God our Father and come to us in our Lord Jesus Christ. Faith is a gift. It's not something that we, we can automatically assume we get or, or maybe even make the illusion that we earn it by, by faith. That, oh, I heard about Jesus and so I respond in faith. And, and that means that, you know, again, it's sort of a privilege. He's really reminding us that what we have received in faith is a very, very precious gift that God has given us. He says this as well, uh, maybe a little more amplified in his letter to the Ephesians in chapter 2, verse 8 and 9, when he says, It is by grace that you have been saved through faith. But this is not, and this is not your own doing, he says. It is a gift of God. It is a gift of God. Not the result of work so that anyone can boast about it, anyone can brag about it. He's really reminding him here again that faith is an extraordinary gift that God has blessed in your heart and your mind, just as it did to the Thessalonian believers. If you're here this morning or online this morning and you're hearing my voice or you're resonating with these words of worship and we're excited to, to approach the table and to receive of the elements, that urge you have in your heart is a gift that God has placed in you. It's not the result of your works. Faith is a gift that God has given you from the Father and of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, I remember this idea of faith being a gift hitting me. Uh, It was not long for me after I understood the story of grace, after I came to faith, after I surrendered my life to Christ. I remember asking myself very shortly after that experience, like, why? Why would God have saved a a wretch like me? Why would he have shown me such love? Why would he let me have the privilege of of experiencing the love of God expressed through the gift of his son, Jesus, who I knew had died for my sin, was raised from the dead so that I could experience new life? Just that thought alone led me to a, a greatly deeper sense of my worship that was drawn out by a profound sense of gratitude. Ah, 
thank you, Lord. Because I know that it wasn't my intellectual pursuit of him. I know it wasn't my willingness to receive God. I had none of those things. God just continued to show himself to me mightily until I surrendered. I received the gift of grace. And we think about receiving or giving a very valuable gift, or maybe the most valuable gift of all, that begins to stir in us a heart of gratitude and worship, which is exactly where Paul goes in his letter to the Thessalonians. He, begins, he continues by telling them that faith is expressed with gratitude. Faith is expressed with gratitude. We see this in verse 3. As he continues in his second letter to the Thessalonians, he said, We must always give thanks to God for you, brothers and sisters. This is right. This is the right thing to do. Faith is always expressed with gratitude. Paul is saying here, we ought always to give thanks to God for you. It's the right thing to do is to be in a posture of gratitude and thanks. Now, we know from the two letters that Paul was super impressed with their faith and very proud of them. But his gratitude here for them is just one facet of the gratitude that he always lived out of. You ever notice that when you read the letters that Paul wrote, he's always thankful for so much. It's not just their faith. That's one thing that he's, he's thankful for here. But he's always thanking God, always and all times giving thanks. This is a posture of gratitude that Paul lived out of, and he is inviting all believers to live out of that posture as well. Faith is expressed through gratitude. Thank you, God. This is, again, part of our developing Christian character to understand the value of gratitude in our worship. I believe that gratitude is the currency that we get to spend in God's kingdom. I believe that gratitude is the currency we get to spend in God's kingdom. Now, when you think about it, if you're going to take a trip or you're going to go to a different land or maybe even travel overseas, you know, sometimes you convert your money over so that you can have the local currency to be able to spend so that you can have a good time there. I think it's the same. I think we exchange our, our faith in for gratitude, and it's gratitude that we get to spend in the kingdom of God as we experience that. See, we bring nothing of value before God but our thanks and our praise. We bring nothing of value before God but our thanks and praise. This is why the liturgy reminds us that it is always right everywhere and at all times to give him thanks and praise. And my friends, it's going to take us an eternity of saying, thank you, Lord, thank you, Lord, for the gift of eternal life and the love of God that is and will be shown to us for an eternity. We must always thank God, Paul says, because it is right. I'm reminded of Jesus' interaction with the ten lepers. It was in Luke chapter 17. We have this account of, of Jesus on the road, and, and ten lepers come before him, and the, and the word even tells us they stayed socially distant, but they cried out for mercy for him. I mean, their condition of leprosy was, was horrible. Not only a terrible skin disease, but an affliction that kept them from participating in life in not only the church, but in their community and their families. They were outcasts because of this disease. Jesus, because of his merciful heart, healed them all, all ten. He told them, go to the priest and, and show them you're clean and you can now re-enter the community. 
Ten ran off as instructed, but one, one by an urging of gratitude that was filled in his heart, turned around and came back. And the word tells us from that account that, that he ran before Jesus and he was praising God, thanking God, and he fell on his feet right before Jesus, thanking him, thanking him. Jesus looked at this man, a Samaritan, as it's noted in the scripture, and he tells us, friend, it is your faith that has made you well. Go in peace. You see, our faith, our faith is best expressed through gratitude. The letter continues, as we see in uh, verse 3 again, Paul continuing, it is right, he said, to give thanks. What is he giving thanks for? Because the Thessalonian believers, your faith is growing abundantly, and the love of every one of you for each other is increasing. Something was happening in the Thessalonian community that they were actually drawing together, even though persecution was, was putting pressure on them to fall apart. But their faith was growing in abundance, and their love for one another, brother and sister in the church, was growing. See, there's a belief in the truth of the gospel that initiates a new beginning, a starting point of faith in our walks, that we're expected to continue to grow in our understanding of who God is and what Jesus has done for us, and move beyond surface-level relationships, especially in the body of our local church. I'm so proud of you, Paul says. I'm so thankful for you. Your faith is growing, and your love for one another is increasing. This is, again, continuing Christian character development. What they were learning about God was charging their hearts to love one another more deeply. Again, we see this reflected in Paul's own words later to the Colossian church. In, in one, he had this idea for their growth. And Colossians 1, 9, he says, For this reason, since the day we first heard of it, we have not stopped praying for you, asking you to be filled with the knowledge of God's will and all spiritual understanding, so that you might lead lives worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him as you bear fruit in every good work and grow in the knowledge of God. You see, these believers, these followers, they had accepted the gift of grace with such a profound sense of gratitude. They were growing in their faith. That's the understanding that we're given, that we're always to be growing in our faith in a way that helps us understand more of the love of God shown in Christ and that's manifested in the love of God for one another. And here's what's so crazy about this time, is that the time this was happening among them, they were facing greatly increased external persecution. Again, there was unresolved conflict. The antagonist was growing even stronger. And in that time, though, Paul was so amazed because that kind of pressure was actually drawing them closer together in their worship, in their learning, and in their love. Your faith is growing abundantly, he said, and your love for one another is increasing glory to God. This is why in this opening of the letter to the second Thessalonians, in verse 4, he says, Therefore we ourselves were bragging about you, we're boasting of you, in all the churches of God because of your steadfastness and your faith during all these persecutions and afflictions that you are enduring. In other words, this is a story that must be told. Their faith is growing, their love is increasing, and that's a story that needs to be shared. So as we look at this introduction to the letter to the 
Thessalonians, the sequel. I have to ask you this morning, do we really need a sequel? Do we really need a part two? Do we really need to be refreshed and reminded of the gift of faith that each of us carry? Do we really need to be reminded of the call to grow in our faith and love for one another? Do we really need a sequel? Well, first of all, we know the story isn't over yet. How many of us thought in March maybe that all this would pass real quickly? We'd maybe find a cure quick. We'd all be back to work and back to schools and fall would look great. How many of you thought just a few months ago, I think this is all just going to get better on its own? The story isn't over yet. What about character? Maybe you thought at the beginning of the season, this won't affect me much. I'm actually doing better. We're having a great time enjoying each other at home. How many of you say you're closer to God or closer to the people around you? How many of you would say you're right now feel closer to the people of the church? There's continuing character development. What about the, the conflict, the antagonist out there? How many of you could say, like, how can I, how many of you ask yourself, how can I stay passionate in my faith during this time that doesn't seem to be coming to an end? There's not only the threat of COVID, there's increasing civil unrest, a political, politically contentious season ahead of us. How can I stay closer to God at this time? Do we really need a sequel? Do we really need a reboot? Do we need a fresh start? I can't think of a better place for us to begin again than at the table. This is the place where we come to be refueled, to be refreshed, to be recharged, to be reconnected, to be renewed. So I invite you to come to the table. But just as it's so important at this time for us to make sure we're clean, our hands are clean, we take time to, to wash ourselves, to wash our hearts in confession and faith. And so therefore I have a prayer that's prepared for us to share together. If you'd like to say these words with me, our Father, we confess that we have sinned against you in our thoughts, with our words, and by our actions. We have sinned by what we have done and by what we have not done for you. We have not given you our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. Trusting in your great mercy, help us to begin anew. Lord, we humbly accept the gift of your grace. Now fill us with gratitude. Help us to grow in faith and deepen in love here in this church so that you are glorified everywhere. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Come to the table.